welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection, podcast episode four. Welcome back to another episode of Heroes of Brand Protection. I'm your host, Daniel Shapiro, Vice President of Brand Relations at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing brand protection software with a mission to make the internet safer for both brands and consumers. In these podcasts, we will share stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in the brand protection industry. We are so happy you could join us today. And please check out our episodes on www.redpoints.com forward slash podcast. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Michael Bynum, Intellectual Property Counsel at Wall Clipper, who will share his own personal story about the challenges of working midnight shifts in a box-making company, and then realized his health was not good. So he made a midlife change, joined the Army, put himself through college as an engineer. Well, hi, Mike, and thank you for joining us today. We're super thrilled to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So uh, in order to uh, you know get us kicked off and uh, get to know one another better, sometimes I think about getting started every morning. And how many coffees does it take you to, to get your day going in the morning? Um, are we talking cups or entire carafes? <laughs> well, you know, I think that's open for discussion. So whatever is easiest for you, right? I would say at least two. Um, I like to have I like to have a cup of coffee, uh, then I like to go work out, and then on the back end of the workout, I like to have another cup of coffee. So at least two. With with a with a chaser later on. Yeah, yeah. Usually around lunch, I need another recharge. So yeah, sounds very yeah. familiar. Well, very <laughs> familiar. One of the things that um, you know, when I think about our careers and how we get to where we get to, uh, sometimes there's these funny moments in life, wh- whether they're in our personal life or in our professional life, but sort of one of those things that sticks out in your head as one of those, one of those instances. Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of um, pivotal, pivotal moments, but I think probably the, the biggest one was um, I came from a family of pretty limited means. And so there was no kind of college plans for me. In fact, I was a first generation college student in my immediate family when I went to school. But um, after high school, I started working in the local box factory in our town. It had a paper mill in it. And I can remember uh, I was on swing shift. So I was working um, days, afternoons, midnights. And I think it was maybe my third or fourth iteration of being on midnights that I had, I had completely, I looked in the mirror and I was completely pale. I looked like a vampire. I, w- I was just not living a healthy life doing that line of work. And that was it. I said, okay, I have to figure out a way to go to school. I have to figure out a way to get an education. And at that point, the only way for me to get funding to go to college was to join the military, which is what I did. And um, the rest is kind of history from there. But it wasn't, I, I don't know that had I not gone and worked in that kind of an environment and did that kind of work for a while, I don't know that I would have said to myself, gee, I, I want more, you know? So I, I think that was a pretty defining moment for me. That's a great story. What what uh, part of the country were you living in? Did you grow up in? Uh, North, I would say central Illinois. Central Illinois. Um, so very rural, rural area. There wasn't a lot of work down there. There certain wasn't any major universities or anything like that around. And so um, a lot of kids graduate high school and 
you know, there wasn't much, much to do or, or much opportunity in that area, but there was a box factory. We printed the Nabisco um, Keebler Elves boxes there. So. Listen, I'm sure, I'm sure it uh, provided a career for a lot of folks. What, what uh, branch of the military did you end up in? I started, I, I was originally going to go full-time into the army and then I changed once I figured out the GI bill and things like that, I decided to go into the Illinois army national guard. And so I was in the guard for 10, 10 years from 98 to 2008. Wow. And that's what gave you the start for your school. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. So, uh, what, when you think about that sort of pivotal time, uh, prior maybe to school, what did you think you want to be when you grew up? What, what did you want to do? I always wanted to be uh, an architect or an engineer. Um, I, I started out wanting to be an architect. I wanted to design large, impressive buildings, structures, bridges, things like that. It always fascinated me. But then as I grew older, um, especially I think maybe my first semester in college, really when I started taking calculus and things like that, I, I realized that I was more intrigued by the mathematics and uh, the actual structural design and I learned that, well, that's not so much an architect as it is an engineer. And so um, I very quickly drifted into um, engineering at that point and completed uh, my degree in mechanical engineering. Very, very good. So how did you decide uh, how did you decide to go this route then, the, the route of uh, IP legal? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I worked for a great company as an engineer. Um, I, I won't call them out here, but they were a fantastic company. It's a small company. Uh, I had a great, great manager and, and, you know, I would talk to him routinely about career development and um, there was kind of three paths in front of me at that time. It was, um, you know, get a PhD and do research or teach, uh, go get my MBA and be management or go get my JD and be a patent lawyer with my engine. I wanted to keep my engineering background and, and continue down the path of an, of an engineer. And so those were kind of the three paths that I saw in front of me after a lot of talk and looking around the company and seeing what was available for upper mobility. And, um, you know, I did my homework and I, I, um, I was at that time, I, I wasn't an enlisted soldier anymore in the guard. I was an officer, so I was managing things already. And so the idea of getting an MBA and managing more things didn't really pique my interest too much. Um, the idea of getting a PhD, did not pique my interest at all. I was I was at that point ready to not set off on another 10 years of school. And um, so then I started looking at law school and I realized, okay, it's three years and um, it's stuff that I'm interested in. It's, it's structural. Again, I get to apply facts to some type of rule set and then see what the output is of the function. And so that, that was all very enticing to me. And so that kind of set me off into the to the law path. I, I, from day one, I went to law school to be a patent attorney. I didn't go to law school to, to do anything else in the law. I mean, not that I don't think I could or think that I wouldn't like it or enjoy it. I just really like patent law. And that's, that was what I've been into since the writ. That's a great story. I, I love that. Um, when, when you um, finished your uh, degree and got your patent degree in law, did you jump right into a private firm like this? Did you bounce into a uh, more uh, public law firm? Where did you go? Yep. So I um, I actually kind of in a longer story, but to be a patent attorney, you not only need to be a regular attorney, but then you also want to go take um, the what we call in our circles, the patent bar. It's It's got a more official name than that. I don't know what they call it these days, but 
basically got to take a second bar exam that's on patent law um, practice, practice before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And I actually had done that during law school. You, you don't have to be an attorney first to take that exam. And so I took that exam first, which allowed me to then be a patent agent. And then I started working for um, a firm, um, relatively larger firm in the, in the U.S. Um, and um, I ended up summering with them. And then I did part time my last year in law school with them. And then um, so I had a job kind of midway through law school. And then right after law school, I stayed with that firm for another 10 years to then leave private practice to come to where I'm at today. Great. That's a great story. Listen, I think one of the things just hearing, you know, your, your, your story and even your uh, mechanical engineering to your IP uh, law background is the tenacity of time that it takes to, to really achieve what you've achieved in this particular time period. I mean, it's impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's definitely hard work, but it's, it's good. It's interesting work. It's an interesting education to go after. And so I, I loved every second. Maybe for those who may not know uh, Wall Clipper, uh, maybe give us a, a brief uh, description, you know, uh, of your business and uh, what you sell and where you're based. Sure. Maybe how how many offices or how big the company is, whatever you can share. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're 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 over a hundred years old. We're an American company, and we make the best hair clipping and hair trimming devices you can buy. I mean, they we make fantastic um electric uh hair grooming tools for both humans and pets so we have a um we have a consumer division that sells direct to consumers so folks like me that like to cut their hair at home and then we also have a very successful professional division where we sell tools to professional barbers and stylists so hair clippers trimmers hair dryers massagers um we also sell massagers in our consumer market as well and then we've got an entire animal division which is bifurcated in, in a very similar manner. We've got um, tools that we sell to the consumer. So you can go to um, a variety of brick and mortar stores and pick up a tool to give your dog a haircut or trim your dog's nails and things like that. But then we also sell tools for professional groomers as well, and not just for dogs, for, for all, a variety of livestock, sheep shearing. Um, we've, got a, we've got a tremendous catalog of products there. Um, we have offices worldwide. Um, we're headquartered in Sterling, Illinois. That's where the company started and that's where the headquarters still is. A majority of our um, devices are manufactured right here in Sterling. And so we take pride that, you know, we, um, the, the, the community here, everybody in this area knows Wall Clipper and probably has a family member that currently works there or did work there in their, in their past. And so um, we take great pride in that. Um, and, and so do our employees. So it's, it's a wonderful company. I can't, I can't say enough about it. I've been here for about a year and I'm continually um, blown away by just how great of a company it is and how much everybody here cares about making sure that what's in the barber's hand or what's in my hand here at home is the best, absolute best product that you can buy for that function. Well, that's a great story. Listen, and, and there are, there are probably fewer businesses at a hundred years uh, manufacturing in the U.S. that probably you can count on your, your hands. There can't be that many yeah. of those sorts of businesses left. So uh, certainly uh, great. I, I remember when my kids were young and buzz cuts in the summer were cool. I still have the a wall clipper that I bought when my kid was probably eight. And now he's 30. Uh, but I used to zip his head with the, uh, with the wall yeah. clipper. I don't know that I've used it too much since then, but I still have it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I tend to, 
you know, I, I, I give myself a haircut about once a week and I tend to go through them a lot faster, but I, I've always had one even before coming to the company. I've always purchased a wall clipper. They've been fantastic. And um, they just, they make, it's a, a great core group of people um, that have a vision for the company and um, it's fourth generation wall family members that are the, the vision and, and uh, for the company. And so they're fantastic. And because they're so great, um, that motivates the rest of us that are supporting the company to be equally, if not more, um, more motivated to get things out and get great product in the consumer's hands. So, Thank you. That's a great story. Uh, do, do you have an example of maybe one of the hardest things you've had to do in your career, whether it be at wall or whether it be in your engineering group or even in your military service, you know, what, is there something that stands out as one of the challenging times? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the, in private practice, you know, when you're in a company, you kind of, you get pretty familiarized with a kind of core bucket of things that you do. Um, but when you're in private practice, you know, you see a lot of different things and you try to help a lot of different clients. And so I think probably some of the more challenging things over the years was, you know, I did a lot of, I was involved in a lot of large uh, merger and acquisition transactions. And so those are always um, quite stressful. There's a lot to, from the IP side to vet and go through, whether you're on the buying side or the selling side. So um, I can't get into specifics, obviously, but I can say that if I had to think about the things that really were the most challenging, um, that were the most rewarding when we were done, were, were a handful of large um, acquisitions that I was involved in. Imagine. Thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, when you uh, uh, think about, I don't know, the, the, the world we're in today uh, and uh, the shift during this difficult pandemic to e-commerce and, you know, brick and mortar companies still, you know, still fighting it out. Where do you see, you know, if you were look for tomorrow, what do you see happening next? Yeah, I think um, obviously the reality is, is that e-commerce is uh, um, a very uh, critical part of commerce in general now. Um, and I don't think I, I don't think the presence or absence of COVID uh, really makes a difference. I think we were heading down this path already. I think COVID might have sped this up a little bit to where we're very, you know, now there's a large trust by the consumer in e-commerce that wasn't there before. Maybe people weren't as, as trusting of it. They were a little skeptical. So they would prefer just to go 15 minutes in the car to buy their whatever. Um, but I think now there's a lot more people that are comfortable using it. It's a lot easier to use um, all the different platforms. You know, Amazon makes it possible, I think, to buy something anywhere on my watch, on my in my truck. I can make a purchase. I mean, it's crazy. So, But I do think for Wall, we see we see brick and mortar as equally as important. Uh, it always will be. And I think, um, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do think that when some of the restrictions and lockdowns start to phase out, which they inevitably will with the vaccines coming out, um, there's going to be an absolute surge in brick and mortar shopping because people want to get out. They want to get out and be around other people. And so I do think we're going to see um, a lot more of that. And I do think that um, for us, you know, it's important for Wall Clipper Corporation to make our products accessible to anyone, anywhere. And so we don't see that as being, well, we can't do one or the other. We see a holistic approach of both brick and mortar and e-commerce to really get our products out there to, to all the audiences that love it and want to purchase. That sounds like a really solid strategy. And I, and I think you're right. I think that we'll be this community sort of pull, pulling together to get out there to sort of do what we once did, right? 
Yep. Uh, yeah. But to your point, the habits that we've created, they're in play, right? In terms of shopping online, they're in play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, now, you know, the next big steps will be from our e-commerce platform partners, Amazon and, and the Ebays and those folks out there to, to kind of tighten up the counterfeiting and, and issues that are kind of plaguing them right now. I mean, obviously, you know, we find great value in working with platforms like Redpoints. Um, and I know um, we do a lot of our own Amazon brand registry work and kind of online e-commerce enforcement internally. But um, I think that in the next decade, there's going to be a large push to somehow curtail that um, because otherwise, you know, it's, it's still a risky game. I mean, you still have to be a bit of a private detective. Okay. I want to buy this new, uh, you know, I want to buy, I want to buy this uh, watch online. And it's like, well, how do I know it's legit? Well, let me go look at the seller. Now let me go look at his reviews. Let me go see if there's been any other reports outside of Amazon. I'm about to spend $400 on a watch. Am I going to get a piece of junk in the mail or, you know, so I think that can be frustrating and challenging for people. And so that's that's in the e-commerce court to really figure out how to curtail a lot of that. I think they do a good job now with their various reporting tools and things like that. But I think there's, there's still work to be done. Agreed. Totally agree. And, and thanks for that insight. I think that's important. Um, is there a common myth that we should debunk related to the profession of you patent lawyers? Like what's what's one of the things we think about when we think about you patent lawyers that we need to debunk? Yeah, I, I think there's there's probably two big ones. One is that we're all uh, nerdy, kind of introverted, like no sense of humor people. And I got to say, probably some of the funniest people I know are patent attorneys. In fact, the core group of guys that I worked with at, at my prior firm, not to say that I don't work with a great group now, but. I have some of the best memories with those guys. They were, we were, we all had a, we all had a huge personality. It was hard to fit them all in a single room. So I think the myth of patent attorneys being introverted, uh, it, it's, it's got some reasonable basis in fact, but there's quite a few people that uh, are not so introverted. And so I think that's one myth I would debug. And I think, um, you know, I think, I think the other one is that, um, you know, patent attorneys tend to, uh, you know, well, you're a lawyer, so help me with my will. Help me with my, you know, my my son got a, he got a speeding ticket. Can't, you're a lawyer. Well, I am, but I'm very specialized. And I think uh, that makes it so that I'm not, uh, you know, an expert on a lot of areas outside of IP. We, we tend to get, you know, very, very pigeonholed. I'm, I'm a little uh, envious of my colleagues from law school that went into general practice or, you know, maybe a corporate practice or something like that or business law practice. And they, they know a, a large swath of legal things. They can help their family with a trust or a will. They can, they can help their cousin with a speeding ticket. Uh, I tell people when they ask me to call a real lawyer, I'm a patent lawyer, totally different. So, um, but I, I think uh, I, I think that is another thing too is that um, you know we we tend to be very very specialized and so um, that's good and bad. Yeah, listen, I think those are. I don't know that I would have had those two, but I think they they do fit in sort of my mindset of what I would think about a patent lawyer for sure. Mm -hmm. So here's here's a question I was going to ask you, John Howell, who is a general counsel at Hyperice, and I don't know if you've used their massage therapy guns, but I think the 
NFL or NBA, uh, Major League Baseball are all using these devices. Uh, I've, I've purchased one myself. They're uh, fabulous. But he had a couple of questions uh, for you Okay. that he wanted uh, uh, to find out about you. I don't know. Do you know, uh, John? Have you had a chance to meet him before? We may have uh, we may have crossed paths at a conference somewhere, but I know I don't believe I've met him personally. Right. Well, here he has two questions for you. One is, uh, what's the biggest challenge you've ever faced at work? Okay. And then second, what have you uh, found that is successful? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, first one, kind of, uh, I covered it already, but but I think just there's been a handful of merger and acquisition transactions that I've been on primarily acquisitions, not mergers that were super challenging. There was just a lot of IP issues to vet out a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, um, uh, collaborations that weren't covered with agreements. So then it was trying to sleuth out, well, who's got title to this technology and how do we get that documented correctly? And so, um, I think those in my mind, any of those, um, IP related acquisitions in the past have been super challenging. They're fun, but they're it's a just a ton of work crammed into a short amount of time and there's a lot of a lot on the line and a lot of due diligence that needs to be done. So those those are very challenging. And I'm sorry, I've already forgotten the second question. Oh, and the second one, yeah, sure, no problem. And then what have you found sort of successful in sort of managing those difficult issues? Yeah, I, I've got one that I think um, I think applies outside of that. I, I use it every day, and that is, um, I'm a list maker. I think a lot of people are. You might make you know a little to do list here or there, or notes about what you want to get done for the day. And I think that a lot of us tend to spend a lot of time creating what we want to do. And the reason why we do that is because we're prioritizing while we're creating. So we're going to start with thinking, okay, what's the most important thing I got to do today? All right, that's number one. And then what should be after that? And then what should be after that? And I, one of the techniques that I was taught by a mentor of mine early on in my legal career is just make a list. Don't worry about prioritizing yet. Write all the things that you want to get done down. Just throw them up on the whiteboard. Now go back and stack them in the order that you think they need to be done. You'll be a lot quicker in, in prioritizing your work. And it's much better to visualize everything first. Get it all out there and then start working. I think a lot of us skip that step and we go straight to, I'm going to make a list. And while I'm making that list, I'm going to prioritize things. And then we start to do this internal debate and struggle about, well, should I do this first or should I work on the other thing? And that tends to slow you down and it tends to, um, it becomes less efficient now. You've, you've just spent an hour making your daily list, you know? And so I think that a, a key tactic for me always is, is stop, take a, take a step back get everything out in front of you and then get a full view of the battlefield and now figure out exactly what targets are priority and what are not as high priority. That's great advice. I think I took a note while you were talking. I thought that was really good advice. Thanks so much. Yeah. So maybe on that note from your advice uh, that you shared, you know, what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career like you in terms of a young person who? is thinking about maybe I, I'd do a like to be a patent attorney one day. What, what kind of advice would you give that young person? Yeah, I actually am. A, I'm a mentor right now for a law student. And the one thing that I, I tell him all the time is, you know, uh, how do you eat an airplane? How do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. It seems like a lot when you're at the front end of all of the stuff that you need to do, all these exams you need to take, all this years of schooling you need to do. But 
break that down into, okay, well, what do I need to do this semester? What do I need to do this week? Um, so, so don't, don't get intimidated by the, the huge amount of work that it takes from start to finish to be a patent attorney. There's, it's a lot, there's a lot to do. There's a, certainly a lot to learn and it's an ongoing education even after you're out of school, certainly. So, uh, if you look at it that way, it's going to be very scary. But if you, if you bring it down to, okay, well, what's my, what's my, what's the one little thing I need to get done this semester, this month, this week. And that, that seems to be very effective. I think it was for me anyway, it was some advice that my mom gave me and, and it stuck with me. So yes, sometimes it's hard to be good old mom. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, is there someone who inspired you during your career? Uh, someone that sort of, I don't know, even if it's not in the IP patent, but maybe, you know, kind of was your driving force yeah yeah i would say um i'd have to give a shout out to jeff mckeever he's a um a patent attorney at the firm i used to work at he's a great guy great attorney he trained me up and mentored me and uh, i will say that he put in a lot of sweat equity into my training he really cared um you know every work everything that i submitted um for review i didn't just get a you know, fix it or, uh, you know, okay, just rubber stamped. It was, uh, Hey, this looks good, but here's what I liked about what you said here, but here's, you might think about doing it different, like in the future. I mean, it was, it was a, always a, an honest to goodness. I want to teach you something. Every single time I see your work, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to try. And so I would say that he was extremely, um, uh, extremely memorable for me in my, in my training and, and, and upbringing for sure. Yeah, it seems like someone who really helped sort of set the path for you. That's uh, that's great. Yeah. Um, lastly, uh, after uh, our podcast with you, uh, the next one we're doing is with Evan Feldstein, who is the vice uh, vice general manager and general counsel at Foreo, which is a huge uh, skincare uh, high tech skincare product. Uh, what's something you'd want to know about Evan? He he's out in Las Vegas running his business. Uh, what would you like to learn from Evan? Okay. Um, I would love to know if he could only watch one movie the rest of his life. I would say you're trapped on a desert island, but then there, that begs the question, well, how do you have electricity if you're on it? So let's just say you can only watch one movie the rest of your life, whether it's in your living room or on a desert island. I don't care. What movie would it be? Well, we'll, we'll tune in next and we'll hear what Evan has to tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. What's the movie you would watch? Uh, you if know, you had one movie to watch. Yeah, I thought I've I thought long and hard about it in terms of all the movies that I like, and you know, I go back and forth, but I honestly think that I would have to go back to you know the '80s slash '90s action movie genre, and it would probably be Predator for me. Just because I, man, as a kid, I probably watched that movie 400 times. It's probably why I wanted to join the military, to be honest. But, <laughs> but it's just, like, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger at his peak, the movie, peak performance. Yes, <laughs> at his peak, right at the Predator. Listen, if it gave you the, if it gave you the thought process of the military, thought process of the military, then then it was worth the worth the watching it so many times. Yeah, yeah, I was a little disappointed once I got in and I realized I wasn't going to go into the jungle and hunt an, an invisible alien, but you know, whatever. <laughs> well, all right. Well, listen, Mike, that that concludes our uh 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 
podcast today. Thanks so much for joining us uh, again. Yeah. Thanks for all the insightful information you presented, some of the great advice you provided. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Your stories were enlightening. We loved listening to your journey and the advice you shared with us really resonated. Uh, a couple things come to mind for me is the impressive story how a young man looked in the mirror one day and knew he needed to change his life. He made the pivot to change his career, not once, but twice. Uh, totally fascinating. Working in a box company, then becoming a mechanical engineer, and then a patent attorney. Wow, that's just a great story. And the second item, when planning for your future uh, and going to law school, Michael shared with us that don't think about the whole journey. Focus on the task in front of you so you don't become overwhelmed. This is really great advice for all of us and can be applied to us both professionally and personally. That's it for us today. If you like what you've heard, check out our next inspiring personal story from another hero of brand protection. You can follow us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. Make it a good day. <laughs>